This is Paul Nobles from Eat to Perform, and I am here today with Dr. Susan Kleiner and one of the lead coaches at Eat to Perform, Stephanie Burt. We're doing a unique podcast because we have questions and answers. Um, we've actually wanted to do this for some time because a lot of the time you kind of get in the weeds on niche topics. And uh, frankly, for new people, this is actually going to be one of the most important podcasts because there's a lot of questions that are being asked. Now, most of the questions have been sent via email, so kind of keep that in mind. We also might see some people come into the podcast, um, and I will admit those people as we go. So, Stephanie, uh, why don't you introduce your first, yourself first, and then I'll let Susan go after that. Sure. I'm Stephanie. I'm one of the lead coaches and um, I head up the sales team and I do all of our training programs for the newbies coming in. So if you have questions regarding that, I'm usually the go-to person for those. Awesome. Susan, can you walk people through who you are and why you're here? Sure. Thanks, Paul. It's, it's really fun to be having these podcasts and I'm excited about this one. So I am a registered dietitian. I have a PhD in nutrition and human performance. Uh, I've been around long enough that the term sports nutrition was coined actually during my training in the 19, early 1980s. Um, I uh, have founded the international uh, uh, co-founder of the International Society of Sport Nutrition, and I do really focus on uh, nutrition for mental and physical performance to enhance your performance from the locker room to the boardroom to the bedroom, and uh, work with anyone who is at elite levels all the way to an average person who is really interested in improving their health and fitness in their lives. Um, it doesn't take being an elite athlete to want to improve. And so, so that's what we like to talk about. How do we blend uh, what eating and performing uh, in, our, in our conversations? Yeah, and I'm Paul Nobles. I, I founded Eat to Perform. Um, and basically, if you're interested in anything we do it or this podcast intrigues you and you want to start, we have a free trial. You can just go to uh, www.eatperform.com. And one of the people that you might be talking to is actually Stephanie, right? And, and the nice thing about what we do and the way that we do it is that you get to talk to someone um, about what your plan will look like before you even sign up and then you also have the free option most people do actually choose the paid option just because they get a meal plan they get all of the training that that stephanie has done which is is immense i mean it's you could literally work out with this stuff for five years straight right mm -hmm. okay so let's jump right into it uh i want to start with what is likely the biggest problem that newbies have uh, as it relates to adjusting to macros, right? And the people on this podcast that, that sent in questions, they didn't really address this. And the reason why they didn't address it is because they paid up front. They got the meal plan, they got the training and things of this nature. What else does paying up front get you? Commitment, 
right? So if, if you paid, you know, as an example, you know, the, the full freight, now you've kind of committed. I think that's one of the arguments for actually paying rather than the free. We keep the free out there because there's just some people that aren't even remotely, you know, um, have any idea what to expect, right? And they've never worked with a coach. They never thought that they could afford it. If you're not aware, most coaching similar to what we do is, you know, in the neighborhood of about $200 a month. We're a fraction of that. The reason why we're a fraction of that and we can do that is because of our app. We can, we can work with a lot of clients compared to other people. So our capacity is much, much higher. Okay. So the big thing that everyone struggles with right out the gate, and I would say uh, Stephanie does it, I do it, and I've been doing Eat to Perform for you know, 10 to 11 years. It's pre-logging your food the day before. Now, in the beginning, now you do have to have some meals prepared. Like I prepare you know, uh, four pounds of chicken, like I do like uh, tenderloins or breasts. And um, I do a lot of my meals in like bowls and such like this. Um, I do have steak available typically. I, I have ground beef, uh, lean ground beef available, and then pork chops. Usually I don't cook those ahead of time because they don't take very long to cook. Um, and I, I prefer them fresh, right? Um, ground beef is a good one that you can pre-cook. Um, it doesn't really change the flavor all that much. Um, but what people try to do in the beginning is they do macro Tetris, right? And, and the problem with being an unskilled person, it's, it's like never catching a football and then trying to be a wide receiver in the NFL. You're going to fail, right? If you start the day before and take five to 15 minutes, and it's probably going to take you 15 minutes, to be honest with you, um, just to log your food, uh, the day before, eventually it'll take you five minutes, right? I mean, the majority of the way that Stephanie and I would log would be um, the, uh, it would be just copying from previous days, right? Now, the athletes, so, so what's interesting about Susan's Rolodex is that, uh, you know, she's got some of the biggest names in all of sports on her phone, right? And so if you work with Susan, which is a much higher dollar amount than, than working with us, she's going to actually write it all out for you, right? And she's going to tell you what to eat, and, and you're just going to go into the, that day. But even those people, I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Susan, um, they're going to want to pre-make that food right? They're not, they're not winging it throughout the day. If you're, let's say, a professional athlete or a CEO or just someone really trying to kind of hone in on that performance, there has to be some level of preparation there, right? Well, Paul, you know my four-letter words of good nutrition, right? Plan, shop, and cook. Right. So that's it, right? You have to plan. You have to shop and you have to cook if you want to be successful and meet your goals. Yeah, I mean, I had a video, um, and uh, I'm going to curse here, so I, I hope that's not that much of a problem for anyone. Um, I know it's not a problem for Stephanie, but, but there was a video, you know, and this was early on in the Eat Reform days, right? 
And we, we had kind of moved from, from mostly information to really more specifics, right? That is, is what ePerform is today. And people were really struggling with that, right? And they were really, you know, it made a, a really big deal of this one thing. So, so I was going through this video and I was trying to talk people through preparation, right? And everybody was making a big deal of how hard it was and things of this nature. And in the video, I just like said it. I was like, are we seriously fucking talking about cooking chicken? Right? And, and, and that video probably changed more people's opinion of what it is, right? Because literally the only thing that I prepare on Sundays is chicken and ground beef. Most of the other stuff, rice, beans, all of that stuff is easy as a side. Now, if you want to get more involved with it, you certainly can, right? But, um, but I think people make that, that too hard, right? And then what ends up happening is they become obsessed about that one thing and they don't allow themselves to kind of get to the, the more important parts of the program. Right. Well, the, the part that prep allows, um, simple prep, like you're talking about, super simple. You know, you can, you know, cook a, a pot of brown rice or a pot of barley at the beginning of uh, on Sunday. Along Just while you're doing your chicken, you can do a pot of quinoa uh, that'll last you the whole week and it takes you 20 minutes. And, and so the you can have, you know, when you go to the grocery store, buy your, your pre-washed bags of salad. You can do, uh, you, can you, you can have your fresh vegetables that you cook up in the moment. What that allows you to do ultimately, and my goal, is that your, your actual meal time, prepare time in the moment on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when you're done with work or getting ready for kids or whatever, it becomes seamless in your life. Now you have the tools that you need and you don't need to stop every single time you go to eat. You know, you have, you have um, sort of incorporated the, the, the amounts and the concepts of what you need, of how you, like everybody knows how you make a club sandwich or at least from my day, you knew what a club sandwich was. It had, it had turkey, it had, you know, you had bread, you had mayonnaise, you had turkey, you had cheese, you had bacon and, and, and lettuce and tomato. And that was a club sandwich. And it typically had a third slice of bread in the middle for some random reason. And so that was a club sandwich. Well, so now you're just switching that over to knowing how do you build your meal? And you've got all the building blocks in the refrigerator already. And some you know, maybe you need to slice the tomato, maybe you need to cook the broccoli, but, but it becomes seamless in your life. And that's the goal yeah, of so, food prep ahead of time. Yeah. So steamed vegetables um, is, is really super helpful. Mo a lot of people at Eat Perform have air fryers. I have a Breville air fryer. Oh my goodness. Game changer. Um, the one thing though, what Susan just said is uh, there was a great quote from Jocko Willenick. And the quote is, discipline equals freedom, right? 
And so, so what I would highly suggest to you, um, James Clear talks about this in the book, Atomic Habits, is schedule it, right? So schedule your prep for Sunday at 8 a.m. or 6 p.m. I grill most of my stuff, so I schedule it for 5 p.m. on Sunday. It's on my calendar. I get an alarm, right? And so, so you know, I'm already at 4.30 getting the chicken out, cutting open the package, things of this nature, because now I know it's coming, right? And I also know how much freedom it allows me to have all that ready because you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, it's so difficult to cook this chicken or so difficult to cook this ground beef. Think about how much time you have to spend to go to Jimmy John's to get off plan, (laughs) right? And so you can easily stay on plan, right? No matter what the plan is, if preparation is a big part of what you do. And, and let's be real here. We're not, we're not saying, you know, that it isn't a little bit difficult, but aren't you looking for kind of a life intervention that helps you establish better habits, that helps you look for a sustainable approach, right? I mean, aren't we all a little tired of the all-in programs, right? Where you starve yourself for, for six months, only to continuously regain all the weight. So this is a little bit difficult. Like one of the things that I mentioned in one of the memes I put out recently was that it should be overwhelming, right? Like in the book, in the book I, I talked about earlier, um, Atomic Habits, you know, he, he talks about 1% difference. You're making like 5% differences some days, right? If you don't know to prep your food, right? If you don't know that, you know, sodium should be regulated to a certain extent, or, you know, like for instance, uh, Susan talked about, you know, using cold cuts in in a sandwich, you know, well, uh, fresh cold cuts, right. That are sliced off of the thing, have less sodium, right. And then, and then package has to have more sodium, right. So if you know that little, but, but we never get to that point where you get those little helpful things, until we get the big helpful thing. So it should be a little overwhelming in the beginning. Stephanie, do you have anything to add? Because I know that um, obviously for, for you and I, you know, we could Tetris if we wanted to. I'm not saying I never don't do it, um, but I kind of don't do it. It's just, it just makes it so much easier to have everything prepared. No, Stephanie? I 100% agree with you. I. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like you on Sundays, I do a lot of my bulk like meat prep and then I can use that depending on what day it is throughout the week. So if it's a low day, I'll add that meat to a salad. If it's a high day, it might be like a veggie and rice bowl or a side of potatoes or whatever it is, but it saves me a lot of time throughout the week to where I don't have to constantly be always making something. It's just there. I go in the fridge, put it on whatever I'm eating, heat it up and it's good to go. So I like having that freedom, not to say that I don't also have days where I wing it, but I will say the days that I do try to wing it, I'm less successful on meeting my numbers. Well, and I think, I think, you know, also just to sort of, you know, it might be getting in the weeds a little bit, but you keep talking about you're you're pre-preparing mostly your proteins. And that really is the place where most people fall apart. 
and so they're not, they don't get enough protein. They rely more on prepackaged uh, foods or carbs or go, go run and stop and pick something up because they don't have the protein that they need. Um, and the protein is, is so incredibly important, no matter what age you are, no matter what goal you've got. Uh, and, and to have that pre-prepared, because that is the thing that most people fall down on, um, becomes critically important. And, and then the other I would add in are your whole grains. And so um, those are so easy to make a whole pot of on Sunday and will keep fresh in a closed container all the way till Friday. And so um, really critically important, or you can go and pick up, you know, um, whole grains like from Trader Joe's or something where they are pre-cooked and packaged and you can throw them in the microwave. Um, and the concept of having a plan is not just about your diet. Somewhere in everyone's life, they learned that if they don't have the financial plan and they just, you know, shoot from the seat of their pants, they're going to fail. They won't have money in the bank. Somewhere along the line, they learned that if they didn't have an academic plan, they never got to their final degree. If they didn't have a career plan, well, they weren't on a career path. And so this is just that. It's that if you don't have a plan and you wing it, no matter what you're doing, you are far less likely to be successful, although there are always those random outliers, but you're far less likely to be successful than if you just have a plan. Yeah, what, what is the saying? Like if you don't have a, or there's two kinds of people, people who have a plan, and then the people that are like, what just happened? I don't have a plan, right? So I didn't give it justice, but, but that's it. So let's run through these questions because um, we've got a, a long list of them. And so uh, there's, there's some good insightful stuff. So uh, one of the questions is, is it better for weight loss if you go gluten and dairy free? And so I know this is a great topic. <laughs> she loves this one. So I'm going to let her go. Well, it's a great strategy if you've just cut out 600 calories out of your day because you've cut out anything with gluten and anything with dairy. Um, it has nothing to, other than that to do with weight loss. Um, you know, the average person uh, is not gluten intolerant, uh, does not have celiac disease, but your source of gluten typically is, a, is an ultra-processed food that is um, low in nutrients, low in micronutrients, low in fibers, low in, in phytochemicals, low in all the things that we need, and high in um, ultra-processed starch and sugar. And that's, um, that's giving you a lot of calories um, that are not helping toward um, your weight loss goal. Uh, although, if you stayed within your calorie count, you would lose weight, even if you ate all those foods. And we've got that research. Um, it doesn't mean you'll be healthy at the end of that. It doesn't mean it's sustainable. It doesn't mean it's, it's a good way to get to your goal. But we know that scientifically, um, calories count. Um, yeah. and, and as far as, as dairy products, dairy products are incredibly important healthy foods, both for mind and body, muscle, uh, and, and, um, and cognitive performance. Uh, the bone health, 
um, uh, blood pressure control, uh, cardiovascular health, all of that, if you are lactose intolerant, you can manage that by using uh, lactase replacement enzymes or using uh, lactate, lactose-free dairy products. Um, it's not, you know, it's not an either or decision um, that if I want to lose weight, I have to cut these foods out. And in fact, the concept of eliminating whole grains is adding to probably your difficulty in dropping weight. And the avoidance of milk in, or dairy products um, may be increasing your risk of, of osteoporosis, again, high blood pressure, um, other factors, and low protein intake, a very important protein source. So, so don't fall prey to what otherwise really is an easy way to eliminate a bunch of calories and these are not foods that promote weight gain. So I'm going to piggyback off of what Susan said, and then we're going to move to the next question. But one of the things that comes up a lot, right, is why is eat to perform so good? And why is it so important? And this was, I, I knew about Susan way before she ever knew about me. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, she was on the top of the ladder as it related to people talking about performance, right? And, and, you know, frankly, even five to 10 years ago, there was a niche, you know, of people wanting to have these discussions. But nowadays, you would think everybody is feeding their clients in great numbers. And the simple fact of the matter is, is they're typically allowing for more flexibility, but still at a low count. Right. So what I what I often say, and I think it was great that Susan brought up wealth planning before, is fat loss is like wealth planning. Right. So if you think of wealth planning as making deposits, deposits would be eating. Right. And so the more deposits you make, obviously, the more wealth that you have. And then once you have that wealth, you can then start to make withdrawals right? So when you just take out gluten or you just take out dairy, you just took out a bunch of calories. So you've made a withdrawal, but the problem is you don't know, you know, the withdrawal that you've made because you don't have any specifics. The diet industry actually has this backwards, right? If you sign up for a plan, most of the time they're going to put you on a calorie restricted diet. You would actually be much better off starting off at a much higher amount where you would probably be more weight stable than you think, then you could make withdrawals from there. Right now, you're always working from a level of ignorance unless you don't, in, unless you know what you were eating, right? If, if someone comes to me and says, Paul, I'm eating 900 calories, I can say, look, <laughs> there's no reason to, to do anything other than normalize your calories right now because you're not going to have any success, you know, going to a calorie restricted version of eat to perform because you need deposits. You can't make a withdrawal when you've only made withdrawals, right? If you've been dieting for the last 15 years and you're constantly making withdrawals, ding, 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 right? That's the problem that people have. 
And so when you, you know, I made a video about this the other day and, and, and everyone wants to talk about maintenance and that's great, but, but adding 18 carrots to your diet is not maintenance, right? And most people don't understand that you need to get to a point, I love it when I make Susan laugh, um, but you need to get to a point where you reverse people to your total daily energy expenditure, right? And that's much higher than you think it is. And it only gets higher when your metabolism is revved up, when you have more energy to work out, when your workouts are better, when you're building muscle, all these things. And so the diet industry is kind of set you up for failure because everyone's always talking about calorie deficits. Ooh, calorie deficits. Calorie deficits, I always say this, a monkey with an abacus could do a calorie deficit. That's the easy part. The difficult part is getting you to the point where you see food as an ally and you can use that math to get a specific result, right? And that's basically, my, my background is data, right? I know a lot about how to look at data. And at the end of the day, that's what became Eat Perform because I looked at it and go, there's just no way it's just about calorie deficits, right? If you never get to the point where you put enough money in the bank, you're never going to be able to get wealth. And that's exactly how fat loss works, right? And it works like that, by the way, for everyone. And this, so there's a lot of questions that talk about this. And I'll just kind of refer back to this little part. All right, so let's keep going. I'm gonna try and get a lot of the easier ones out of the way, and then we'll work through um, we'll work through some of the harder ones. But to be completely honest, some of these you could literally do uh, webinars on. And so this this is one right here where we've done a webinar on this multiple times. How do I know if my cortisol is elevated, and what can I do to fix it? So. Susan, why don't you talk about that? And then um, if you could kind of talk about the role that carbohydrates play with cortisol, I think that would be helpful. So the, if you um, are concerned that you've got elevated cortisol levels, you go to the doctor and you get a clinical chemistry test. You ask for a blood draw. You look at more than just cortisol. You should look at C-reactive protein. Um, you should get your vitamin D levels tested. Uh, you might want to look at some of your other hormone levels, maybe look at, have a thyroid test done, thyroid stimulating hormone, um, and just see, are you, are, are you anywhere close to within normal ranges? And we know that many of these levels move around based on what's happening with your life and your diet and your exercise and your body weight and how overfat you are. All of those things will impact these numbers in addition, smoking and, and several other things. And, and if you're asking about cortisol and I'm going to connect C-reactive protein to that, um, the question seems to go to, do I have chronic systemic inflammation going on in my body? And is that part of the reason that I struggle with my body weight and body fat. If those numbers are elevated, yes, that could be um, something physiologically or biochemically going on in your body. Again, affected by all those things that I mentioned along with, in a very big way, your sleep. 
your stress, your anxiety, rest and relaxation. Those play an important role. Um, one thing that is commonly pointed toward um, as causing inflammation, raising cortisol levels, is the consumption of grains and carbohydrate-rich foods. Um, we need to separate out whole grains from all other carbohydrate-rich sources that are ultra-processed, high in refined starches and sugars. Whole grains are as actually um, highly anti-inflammatory, just to begin with, particularly in your gut. And I mean really whole grains, like cooking the whole grain. As I said, you know, uh, 15 minutes to get a big pot of quinoa, uh, 20 minutes to get, or 30 minutes for a pot of brown rice, uh, certainly other, lots of other whole grains. And there are gluten-free whole grains, you know, as I mentioned, quinoa, and there are others. Um, carbohydrates in particular, will help you lower your cortisol levels. Study after study after study that has always been done on very low carbohydrate diets and certainly ketogenic diets have shown that they raise cortisol levels. Because of the confluence of events of um, a rise in insulin, and the cascade of biochemical events that follow, that allows for a decrease in cortisol. And so it helps you when you're feeding your body because you do need some carbs because of course we want you to live a physically active life and that's what fuels your movement. That's what is healthy from the beginning of life on. You don't see any animals that that, you know, that live absolutely still, even, you know, uh, corals <laughs> um, move around even though they're stuck to the, to the, the uh, limestone that, they're, that they live in. They move around. We need to move. And it's carbohydrate that fuels that muscular movement. And that is what helps us maintain uh, our, our healthy levels of cortisol because cortisol is critically important to get you out of the blocks, to get you moving. It is, very, it is a very important factor in short bursts. Okay, perfect. Um, so Stephanie, do you think that if you controlled your cortisol just a little bit more, maybe you would be less angry at me in reviews or, or not? <laughs> Don't turn this around on me. <laughs> no, no, no promises? Um, okay, so- I said I want to be. Gotcha. I get one week reprieve this week. Um, okay, so so Stephanie's been quiet up to this point. Um, I'm gonna have to keep her quiet. One more question, and then we'll we'll kind of move on because it, it directly relates to um, what we just talked about. So first of all, um, the person asking this question is in performance recomp. She is losing weight, right? And her calories are not low. Um, I think part of the problem is that often people don't understand, and I don't know if you encountered this much, Susan, but, but that I think people just naturally want their weight to lower, right? Or when they step on the scale, they're concerned about weight fluctuations related to one day or a higher day of sodium. And what's funny about it is, is that all these folks that are avoiding the scale 
the one day they always want to jump on the scale is after the sushi sodium day. <laughs> and so it's always interesting to me that people are in this like hope and wish plan, right? And then the minute they, you know, go eat pizza um, and have a night out where they're enjoying pizza and ice cream, the very next day they stood on the scale. So it sets up this kind of false positive over and over again. So she's asking, um, she has PCOS, right? And uh, she wants to know if carbs play a role in that. And so what Susan, uh, and she can t tell her version, but I can give you the anecdotal part, right? Where, you know, working with thousands of clients that have had PCOS and what we see and, and, and why. Um, and then I'll let Susan give the disclaimer, right? Because none of us on here are clinical doctors, right? And so when we say go see a clinical doctor, that's good and bad because in the case of PCOS, a lot of clinical doctors are gonna say, avoid carbs, right? And, and that may or may not be the right answer for you in that situation. And I think one of the things that's nice about what we're talking about with, with Susan, what I'm going to talk about here in just a second, is yes, you can go to the doctor, but why wouldn't you just try, you know, adding, you know, dairy in, you know, as a, as a small thing, as a small dose, right? Like I have dairy issues, but if dosing is right, I'm good, right? I'm fine with yogurt. I'm fine with whey protein that isn't full of fillers and all this other type of stuff. But if I try to get half of my daily protein through whey protein, you don't want to be near me for a long time, right? <laughs> and so you have to kind of keep that in mind. So PCOS, you know, for men, you probably don't know what this is at all. Um, but PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Right? Ovary syndrome. Ovary syndrome. And so um, the basic idea is that these women, and there's many degrees of PCOS, right? Um, but, but what it comes down to is that these women produce more testosterone. And you sort of see this every now and again within sports, like there's this South African runner that is, you know, f having to fight to run every single time, even though she's very clearly a woman because of, you know, her PCOS, she uh, actually emits lots of testosterone compared to the other women that she's racing against. And people are saying, well, that's unfair, but it is natural, right? And so here's what we see. Most people that have PCOS come to us eating low carb, right? And they've heard low carb works. Well, how's it working for you, right? I mean, that's my standard response. Because here's the problem that you have when you have PCOS and you opt for low carb, especially when you're low carb and you're not measuring. Once again, you cannot measure something without data, right? So if you take out gluten, you take out dairy, you just took out 600 calories, but if you're not logging, you don't know why, you just go, woo, guy on the internet told me if I take out gluten, I'll be fine. But you didn't measure it, so you don't know, right? And so what's the saying, you know, you can't miss what you can't measure? You know, 
you, you have to have the data to back up the things that we talk about. We probably have more data in this regard than any other program. And certainly MyFitnessPal and, and Weight Watchers and Noom and all these other places, they have data, but they only look it in one direction, right? We're looking in both directions. And here's what we find. What happens with PCOS is they become very calories restricted over time, right? And so what ends up happening is similar to the, to the analogy or metaphor that I brought up earlier, where they're constantly making withdrawal, you know, um, and they're never making deposits, right? And the problem with never making deposits is if now you want fat loss or weight loss, well, you're kind of working against the way that your body wants to actually work, right? And so here's what we see. Once again, there's, there's people uh, with PCOS that are trying to stay weight stable and things of this nature. I suspect there is some correlation between high testosterone, um, but it would just build more muscle in most cases, especially if you're working out. In terms of being sedentary, maybe, maybe Susan could speculate on that. Um, what we see is that most of these people, you know, if you, if you eat 30 grams of carbs, you probably view uh, a moderate amount of carbs as high carb. You know, 240 grams of carbs is not high carb. It's moderate carb, right? And so what we see is, is that these folks – will fluctuate a bit, similar to the way that almost everyone does, if they are having carbohydrates and do have higher testosterone, they tend to look more muscular. They tend to build more muscle in that instance. It's very difficult. It's always interesting. You know, you have all these people saying that you can build muscle and physiologically you can build muscle with low carb. The only problem is, is that most of these people saying it are like 155 pound men, right? So, so if you're kind of small, you know, and, 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 and you're using low carb and then you're kind of putting it out there that you're this expert on, on building muscle, but you don't really have a lot of muscle, I wouldn't say that you're really the expert, right? In terms of, you know, PCOS, I would say that the carbohydrates in a moderate way would help because carbohydrates are a building hormone, right? And so it allows your body, as long as you're doing some level of resistance training in terms of cardio, it would probably help as it relates to, you know, uh, adapting to exercise and getting faster and things of this nature. Um, so it would all be a positive, right? So here's what happens. So like I said, this person's in performance. She is not on a, she's not going for a calorie restricted diet. But once again, this is part of the problem is that people are in phases, but they want to wish, right? And it's like, can you, I put, I, I put this post, uh, put this out on, on Instagram the other day. Can you out train a bad diet? What, what it, the question is basically saying is, is can you out train a hypercaloric diet? And the answer is almost certainly yes, right? If you look at virtually any, like I use the example of an athlete, I was at this conference and he's a, he's a wide receiver in the NFL, possibly the best, you know, it kind of depends on how you view bodybuilding and stuff like this, but, but possibly the best physique I've ever seen on a human being ever. 
right? He literally worked out, you know, from, from what was 7 a.m. to probably 3 p.m., right? We had very few breaks. He wasn't working out with high intensity the whole time. He would rest a little bit. But, but without question, everyone was astounded all day long by how much this guy was working out. So we knew each other a little bit, and, and we were talking through most of the day, and we got a late break, and it's 3 p.m. And uh, he's like, hey, man, you know, I hate to bother you, but is there any way we could go grab something to eat? I was like, yeah, man, let's do it, you know? So uh, he's like, I hate to say this to you, man, because, you know, I, know I, I feel guilty about it. He's like, but I need to go to McDonald's. You know, and so I was like, dude, do not feel guilty. You just like worked out like crazy. I can't even believe that you could work out for eight hours without eating. You know, that was insane to watch. Um, and he ate half the menu. I mean, it was astounding amount of food, right, to watch. And as he consumed what had to be somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5,000 calories, um, it was part of what we talk about all the time is that the more you do, the more it fuels the things that you can do. So you can absolutely out train a bad diet. Am I saying that you should? No, but for him, McDonald's is not a bad diet, right? It's got sodium. That's going to allow his muscles to recover. It's got all the things that, that you kind of need in that scenario. This is the bill of goods you're being sold with PCOS, right? And I'm not saying that there's not some degree, but I'm saying moderate carbohydrate intake. Maybe we up fats a little bit more than we would with like someone that doesn't have PCOS, but you have to make those deposits somehow, right? And if your goal is to look leaner, be leaner, all these other things, testosterone will only be favorable as it relates to that. So if we add moderate um moderate carbohydrates to that plan, we're constantly making deposits rather than making withdrawals. That the reason why you're not seeing success with PCOS is almost always a representative of the fact that you're over restricting or, you know, when you're over restricting, what do we know happens, right? You're going to have these big swings the other way. And then there's a lot of guilt attached to it and things of that nature. That's my anecdotal experience with PCOS. But we certainly, I mean, if you think that you could run a program like Eat to Perform and not have thousands of people that have PCOS, you are wrong. We have tons of people that have PCOS. So Susan, why don't you give your disclaimer and then give your, your, your thing, but I, I hope I covered it fairly well. Yeah, I think you did a great job, Paul. Um, so again, my disclaimer is I am not a clinical dietitian. Uh, the field of nutrition and dietetics is highly specialized. I specialize in sports performance, physical and mental performance, um, improving mood, memory, cognitive performance, as well as muscle and physical performance. So um, Typically, someone who's got a clinical diagnosis like PCOS will come to me uh, with their other specialist that they have been working with. And so I will partner, whether that's an MD or another RD or a naturopath, someone else who has been working with them 
uh, endocrinologist uh, in helping them manage their condition. Um, I don't call this a disease. This is a syndrome. Uh, it's a condition. Uh, it is just a, a, a life process. How do we manage that? Well, we know that the symptomatology of this does include um, sort of emotional swings because of the feeling of being out of control and different than other women that you meet or that you know. And we also know that diets that are lower than 40% of total calories from carbs can increase the risk of depression in depression-prone people. So why would you ever put someone who you already know is at risk of depression um, on a diet that in, can induce or increase the risk of depression all by itself? So just to start from there, and when we talk about 40% of total calories from carbs, that is a moderate carbohydrate diet. That is not low, that is far from high. I think of a high carbohydrate diet as 70% of total calories from carbohydrates. So when we're talking, and, and maybe in the weight loss world, it might be a high carbohydrate diet, maybe above 55% or 60%, but a 40% carbohydrate diet in, in sort of recognized research literature, and it does swing around based on who the researchers are and what they call their diet, but in the dietetic world, 40% carbohydrate is a moderate carbohydrate diet, and it's probably right in the sweet spot of eat to perform So... I wanted to give some specifics on the numbers and don't forget where you're at because I'm, this is not going to take long. So on a 2000 calorie diet, right? Um, which like Susan's saying is going to be the sweet spot, right? That would actually be low for a lot of eat performers, especially people in PR and actually the person talking is probably higher already or will be higher soon. Um, at 2000 calories, 40% of your carbohydrates is only 200 carbs. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, 200 carbs, I would get so, you know, bloated and, you know, all these negative things that people think. No, you really wouldn't. You know, I think some of, you know, the recovery from the low, low carb thought process and things of that nature, that can be a little uncomfortable, right? And I get that, but you, you, it was a little bit like we talked about earlier with the prepping of the food. It's going to be a little bit overwhelming. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but on the other side, there's a, there's a great Ray Dalio quote. And he said, basically life is like um, crossing a jungle. He's like, if you want an extraordinary life, you have to go through the jungle. You have to face the fear, right? And that's how you get to an extraordinary life. The other option is an ordinary life where you don't go through the jungle, you don't reach your goals, you don't get the results that you want, and you always kind of wonder what it would have been like if you went through the jungle. And I love that quote because it's true. You know, like my wife and I, we, um, we uh, made this proclamation that at 55, we were going to live different places of the world for a month to three months, right? Well, because of COVID, we had the opportunity. 
Yeah, because of COVID, we had the opportunity to explore this because she's now working at home. And this week, we made a gigantic leap. You know, we had to, we went through Airbnb and we, um, we put basically 5000 down. It's non-refundable to live in Charleston, South Carolina for a month. And you, you, have to, you have to make the leap. You have to start walking through the jungle and avoid the puma and all the things that will happen to you. Almost everyone fails their way to success. Almost no one, you know, succeeds their way all the way to success, right? You have to learn from things as you go. And so that's, that's kind of a big piece. Um, did you want to wrap up the PCOS? Because I have a question for Stephanie. Yeah, so, so just um, the point is, is to think, you know, to, un- to have that basic understanding that the women that I work with, who, you know, not all of them certainly, are, are um, athletic, all the way, as I said, from moms at home with kids who are finding their fitness in selves again, to uh, Olympians. Um, those women who have PCOS, who you would look at them and, and maybe, maybe not know, depending on who you are and your understanding of what you're seeing, you're seeing highly successful women who have been highly physically active their whole lives and who have found a community where their goal is certainly, you know, everyone wants to look at themselves in the mirror and feel good about what they see, but they also have bigger goals of, of performance and health and fitness and how they feel, just how they feel walking through the world every day. And so the, the thing that fuels that physical fitness, that movement, is, is a sense of abundance, a feeling that my body works and I need to fuel it to maximize its potential. Um, instead of living a restricted life, living a sort of unlimited life. And so um, that messaging can go to everyone. Um, finding what your um, place is and what feels good to you, but I can't encourage enough to increase your physical activity, which can be walking, starting to walk. You don't have to be out on the court playing WNBA basketball. Start to walk. In order to walk and walk a little more and more briskly each time you walk, that's what uses your carbs. If you're sitting in front of the tube eating chips and, and, and thinking that it's the carbs that are doing you in, you are being fed a bill of goods. What's doing you in is your lifestyle. And, and I think Eat to Perform is the perfect vehicle to help guide you and coach you and encourage you and motivate you because it's really hard to do this alone. That's a great uh, transition to the, the next two questions. Um, Stephanie, I'm actually going to stay out of this one. So it'll be Stephanie and Susan. So Steph, you give your um, thoughts and then Susan, you come in with the science bang. So the question 
is basically, um, is it bad thing if my legs aren't sore after a hard workout? I feel the burn during the exercises, but next day I'm not sore. What's your experience, Stephanie? And, and you know, give some thoughts on it because it, 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 the, the answer is obviously it depends. <laughs> right. Um, so I came from personal training background and I've been an athlete my whole life. And I was always kind of like in this mentality of, um, in order for me to get to the whatever next level, I have to destroy myself every workout, right? So I used to view exercise and workouts as um, not good if I wasn't completely like on the ground dying the next day or that day of. And the truth is, you shouldn't be, you know, so sore that you're tender to the touch or you can't walk right the next day. Um, you actually build more muscle in not doing things that way. And I kind of had to learn that the hard way. You know, I would, I would work out crazy all the time and I'd be so sore the next day and week over week, I'm like, why am I not really getting any stronger though? Like, this is crazy. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing like my own programming to be like, okay, I really need to stop trying to kill myself all the time and start doing things more of in a, like a progressive manner. Um, and that's really where I start to see things take off. So there are many times when I work out, I'm not sore at all the next day. Like if you can kind of feel it, you did a good job that day. Just because you're not sore doesn't mean that you didn't have a good workout or you're not building muscle. And in fact, if you're sore all the time, that might actually pro, you know, prohibit you from building the body that you want and you, because you're just not recovering ever. So um, Susan, that's just my experience. I'm sure Susan has a lot of the science stuff behind it, but I always yeah. tell people like, don't work out until you're sore all the time. Like it's okay not to be sore. In fact, I encourage you to not be sore. It's okay. So Susan, what is your thoughts? So, so, you know, I'm, I'm not the trainer, but what I have learned in the progression of training over decades is that um, each, each workout um, session has a different goal um, or each week of workouts or, you know, a block of workouts. And so some, some workouts are trying to build muscle, some some workouts are trying to build endurance. Some workouts are trying to build cardiovascular strength, power. There's, so there's different goals for different workouts and mixing that up is super important and having a good trainer and a good training program. Um, the other side and the most important, one of the most important areas of sports nutrition is recovery. And the whole point of recovery nutrition, which by the way is before, during, and after, uh, your training um, program is to increase muscle growth or synthesis and decrease muscle breakdown because it's a balance. You're working out hard. You want to build more muscle, but every time you train, you also break down. And the less you break down and the more you build up, just as Stephanie is saying, the faster you move forward. If you, are always, if you are always breaking down more than you're building up, you're going forward one step and two steps back. 
every single time you train. And so if you're doing things right, if you're following the eat to perform protocol, if you're doing your recovery nutrition, some carbohydrate before your training, if you need something during, depending on what your training is, and your protein and carb after training, that combination decreases muscle protein breakdown, which means less soreness. The more sore you are, the more breakdown you are having. And the goal is to minimize that, get some, because that breakdown does stimulate sort of that stress response, which gets you bigger, faster, stronger. Okay, that's our, our, our body's ability to grow back bigger, faster, stronger. But the more sore you are, the less likely you are to work out tomorrow or later in the day. You're gonna skip workouts. You're gonna be more sedentary the rest of the day. It is, it is, um, it is um, sort of against what we're trying to accomplish to tell people to get really sore. And our Olympians and our great athletes, the whole programming is to minimize soreness. So that is, once again, a great transition to how long should I be lifting and how often in performance slash recon. Right now, she does five days a week for an hour. And I think we kind of just covered it, but I wanted to kind of give my input on this because um, I kind of came from kind of the same thing that Stephanie said. People go, well... How'd you lose, um, you know, 100 pounds? And the answer in a nutshell was I um, consumed a hyper amount of calories so that I could work out a lot. And uh, I was able to get to a calorie deficit because of it. So I do know that you can out train a, a bad diet or at least hyper palatable foods because you need to have hyper palatable foods to um to get to these big deficits right and so uh what had to change for me because you can't you can't stay in that place right where you're you're working out for two to three hours i mean it, it was almost to the level of you know greatest loser kind of stuff or whatever the the name of that show that harms so many people. Um, the, uh, and, and, and so it took me a while to kind of transition my training to where I had more recovery and the body changes were astounding, right? I have a picture where one, I'm obese at 255 pounds. And then I have two other pictures, both are at 162 pounds. One, I'm skinny fat. If there's any way, anything you could contribute to diet, Susan, is come up with this term better than skinny fat, <laughs> right? I hate that term so much, right? But that's the only term I have is that 162 hours skinny fat. And then there's another picture of me at the exact same weight and I'm jacked, I have abs, right? Um, and that six month period. That's all it was. If you ever see that picture, it was just six months that I changed in that regard. Since that picture, there's been 10 more years and roughly 25 to 30 pounds more muscle. Like, you know, when I talk about the 155 pound person 
telling you how to gain muscle and that that's more theory than actual practice on their part, I'm speaking for me, right? I know how to build muscle and, and it really comes down to, uh, you know, a little bit of my background, you know, I was doing CrossFit um, and, and CrossFit's a, a great protocol. The, the criticism of CrossFit back in the day, and I, I think it was kind of fair, um, is that it makes you small, right? Um, and what that means is, is that you're probably burning more calories than actually using them to build muscle. Then you go, well, how does Rich Froning have muscle? How do all these people have muscle? A great example is Haley Adams right now, right? So Haley is 19, 20 years old. Um, she is naturally a taller, thinner person. Well, actually, I have a better example. Um, but, but you're going to see Haley grow muscle similar to the person that I'm going to tell you about right now. Go Google Rich Froning 2010 and then Google Rich Froning 2016 when he won the, the CrossFit Games. He's a different person, right? On the one hand, he's, he's much thinner, kind of, kind of certainly has abs, right? But, but he's probably 175 in the picture on, two ten, or, uh, on uh, two, 2010. In 2016, he's probably 205. And just, he had, he had just that much more muscle. He was already a gifted athlete as it translated to the sport. That was something that I was going to actually talk about related to the PCSO, PCOS topic. Um, what you see is that people, this was a little bit of, I don't know, I'm trying to stay out of deep water because this is, this is a topic that is very difficult. Like even talking about Haley Adams and saying that she's a tall and lean person. Some people could take that the wrong way. I'm simply saying that she has not developed her body the way that she will, you know, in the next few years, just naturally, right? Um, as her body becomes more muscle mature, she'll very likely stay um, a similar physique, just a little bit more um, prepared for the sport that she's playing in. But what you see with sports in general is that people gravitate to the sports that they find the most comfortable playing, right? And every now and again, you see someone else. So I'm going to use Serena Williams as an example. Serena Williams has talked openly about the amount of prejudice, the amount of, of uh, you know, negative things that she's gotten on a race level, but also on a body image level, right? Well, that's Serious body shaming. Yeah, but what is? Serious body shaming. Yes. From her own competitors who have lost to her. Yeah, and so, so naturally, maybe she would have been better off if she had gone to one of the sports that – is a little bit more understanding of her body type, but she didn't do that. And what she faced was an incredible amount of insecurity from other people. But here's what also happened. She's the best ever. 
And so my brother-in-law used to say this all the time, that we don't really know who the best ever is in anything because of this type of prejudice, because of these type of insecurities. And people naturally gravitate towards sports. So something like men's figure skating, those people are great at that sport, but could probably also be very good at track or something of this nature. They just found more of their bees, right? If you've ever seen like the, the video, what it, what is it? What's the, ba the band? Um, uh, all I can say is that my life is, um, I, I can't think of the name. Um, but, but the video is this little girl who's going uh, around the world in a bee costume and she's so upset and she's so frustrated until she finds a field with other people in bee costumes. And then they just dance around and it's, it's this great video. I think it's by Sablon. Um, I can't think of the name. Um, and uh, it's just such a touching thing because, you know, obviously in these times we're, we're talking about a lot about prejudice and insecurities and, and we're seeing those come out in a lot of different ways. Um, but think about us and all of our fullest potentials, right? Like what have we faced and would it, been, would it have been easier? It goes back to the Ray Dalio quote. I mean, certainly Serena Williams, she went through the jungle, right? And, and she got great results as, as, a, as a result of it. A lot of good things but some bad things also, right? Um, but she faced that and she's now on the other side. I just feel like there's a lot of limiting stuff out there. And in your personal life, if you can try to gravitate more towards abundant ideas rather than limiting ideas, I believe that's a hallmark of Eat to Perform. It's a hallmark of what Susan teaches, right? If you, if you listen to people more like we are and try to listen to a, a good, you know, a good expanse of people. But at the same time, you know, if people are telling you something that's a limiting idea and you're embracing that limiting idea, that might be telling you something that you should go outside of that, right? Because, because we all have insecurities and if someone's trying to feed you feed on your insecurities so that they can sell you something that in my opinion is a very shitty thing to do right and you see that a lot in the diet industry it's it's abundant on instagram right um so we have a few more questions that we can finish up here uh, very quickly, but uh, we are actually long for the podcast at this point. So this one's easy. Why is my fiber intake always in the red? How do I know how much fiber I'm supposed to have a day? So the fiber requirements were um, prescribed by a dietitian that, that was on staff uh, many years ago. And basically, she came up with this formula, which is, is 14 to 15 um, grams of fiber for every thousand calories, right? And so if you're eating 40 grams of fiber, the app technically says you're eating too much fiber. It's not correct, right? 
um, that's actually favorable. It's not bad. It's just the only way that data works, right? It's sort of hard to program away from it. The reason why, and there is a number that's bad as it relates to fiber. Fiber and fat can often blunt the signaling for you know, uptake into growing muscle and things of this nature. So what we were seeing with these people that were, were doing these whole, you know, food programs, right? And they were getting 90 to 100 grams of fiber. And we were just like, you don't need that much fiber, right? And they were constipated and they were, you know, having all these struggles. And so that's why we brought this up, right? But the, the point being is that if you're, you know, if, if let's say you're at 2,000 calories and it's set at, at 30, you know, being at 35 or 40 is not bad. We're concerned about being at 90 or 100, right? Where, where it's this idea that all your carbs should be negative net carbs, right? And, you know, and once again, it's this, this constant withdrawal idea. So um, unless someone has a really strong opinion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Um, uh, Susan, thoughts? Okay. Um, all right. So on low days in PR, should I be doing some sort of cardio, walking, or just resting? So this is always interesting to people. So my super day, which is the day um, that I have the most calories on the program, is a rest day for me. Um, yesterday was a rest day with about 2,500 steps, right? Um, I like to rest on my rest days, right? Because it sets up this scenario. So like today is the day after my super day and I'll be going for something in the neighborhood of about a five mile ruck, right? So I'll have 45 pounds on my back and going through a hike and I have good energy for that. My actual recovery, I can look at on my um, HRV device, you know, I'm 89% recovered, right? Which means that I got an adequate amount of sleep and an adequate amount of rest the day before. That was what Stephanie was talking about earlier. How many steps should I get in PR? I've been aiming for 10,000 a day. Is that too much? Am I compromising muscle gains by doing that much? So, the answer is we don't know, right? Um, the, uh, the probable answer is you're fine, right? Um, if you want to really test it, let's up your calories, <laughs> right? Um, that's, the, that's the issue, is that people don't want their calories to go up, um, but they want to conserve their muscle. Well, you know, steps are going to, steps are going to be, um, steps at eight to 10,000, probably are not compromising your muscle greatly. Um, but what I can say is what I just said, that, you know, if it's leg day, eh, maybe do 4,000, right? Maybe, maybe stay off the, the, the pacing while you're on phone calls or maybe stay off of long hikes. doesn't mean that, you know, the, the problem with answering these types of questions is – People, like, I'm absolutely certain that in answering all these 10 questions, Tammy, the person that's asking the questions, is going to go, now I'm perfect. If I follow all these directives, I'm going to be abbed up two weeks from now. That's not how it works, right? 
you you have to play with these ideas to feel to to figure out what fits the the most correctly for you, right? And I think in Tammy's case, you know, she's working out five days right now. Um, I don't think she would have ten questions if she had felt like she'd solved the world. So if we're thinking that she's looking for some level of improvement, what I would probably do is, is try a, a version of what Stephanie said. If you look at most of Stephanie's programming, it's like four to three to four days on most days. Right. right. Um, but I would probably go down to four days, right. If you're doing something like CrossFit, I would probably do like two days of CrossFit and then two days of lifting. If you're just lifting, then three to four days is probably fine, allowing for enough muscle recovery. Um, I would definitely think on days like leg day and stuff like this where you're using these big, large muscles, um, that your steps should probably be lower just from a standpoint of recovery, but also um, just allowing your body to adapt to the exercise. That's the problem with overdoing cardio. That's why I got skinny fat, right? Is because I was overdoing the cardio to earn all this food, right? And what ended up happening is that once I started building using that food, my body started looking different. I started looking muscular and I started looking like I wanted to look. And, and that's what I think happens for a lot of people is they want an answer and then they want to look in the mirror five days later and go, Yep, it's working. That's not how it works, right? It, you have to be testing things along the way, but you have to go with that basic principle. And the basic principle is I need to be in abundance more than I need to embrace limiting ideas. And if you do that, you are much more likely to get where you want to go. Will that mean that weight will be up every now and again? Yes, you know, um, I haven't really talked about this up to this point. Stephanie knows this because I've been kind of complaining a little bit, but I'm on a mini cut. And so I'm just trying to clean things up right now. I don't know whether or not it's going to go three weeks or six weeks, but I'm kind of leaning towards six weeks um, because for the most part, well, one, I've been seeing drastic results. Um, but my lowest day before my super day, which was yesterday, was 201.8. Then I had my super day, which is the majority of my calories. Um, my foods were higher in sodium. Uh, I don't worry about sodium the way that some people worry about sodium because of the, the muscle recovery, things of that nature. And today, of course, I have more energy. My muscles are recovered, and that shows on my HRV. And so I'm really super excited. I'm also sweating. I am so hot right now. Because, you know, having all that food yesterday, you just, your metabolism just like speeds up, right? So, so I am definitely hotter than I, than I normally am. So I'm 201.8, right? After my super day, 204.3. People lose their mind off of this idea. That's a poop. <laughs> That's a couple peas right? And then you're back to even, you know, your metabolism wants food, right? In fact, a large aspect of your metabolism is feeding. And so, you know, I, this, 
despise, way worse than skinny fat, I despise the concept of a cheat day. It sets up such a negative framework for you because what are you cheating on? You're cheating on your diet. Well, we don't favorably look on people who cheat on their wife. We don't favorably look on people who cheat on their taxes. We do allow people to cheat in golf. That's a whole other story, right? But what my point being is we change that to super day because the science of a super day, the science of a cheat day is out there. We all know it's more favorable to have kind of this, this reset day. Um, but there's this negative connotation put to it that doesn't need to put to it. But is your rate going to be up? Absolutely. I mean, that's even logical, right? Like the problem with this, this mindset that you're being sold, it's too rigid. It's too limiting, right? And so what you're going to see when you see my graph, either at four weeks or six weeks, you're going to see this just really good, level down and you're going to see giant spikes up and those giant spikes are being done on purpose and they're put in your program on purpose, right? The, the, the rhythm that you follow based on, you know, when you want to eat more freely, it was meant to be that way, right? We are actually trying to get your weight to fluctuate so that your metabolism does not crash, right? And so that's kind of the basic idea there. All right, we're going to stop there. We answered all, I'd say, 97% of the questions. Um, I love this because, like I said, we get too in the weeds about these advanced topics a lot of the time, and we don't often reset back to the beginning. So, um, Stephanie, if you want to say goodbye. Um, Thanks for coming, you guys. Um, as always, if you have questions, ask your coach, reach out. You can always tag me in a post on the community page, and I'll be happy to answer those for you. When you ask your coach, message your coach. Yeah. Don't put it in your journal. If you, if you want a response, message your coach. If you want to get an answer a week later or four days later, put it in your journal, right? But most people want answers relatively quickly and time-sensitive. Susan, you want to tell everybody goodbye? Everybody, goodbye. You can find me at um, drskleiner.com, at Power Eat on Instagram and Twitter, Dr. Susan Kleiner on Facebook. And uh, my books, The New Power Eating, The Good Mood Diet, are on my website on Amazon. Um, so um, just get out, get moving, enjoy yourself, think positive, live in a world of abundance. Sounds good. All right, bye. Everyone have a great weekend. Talk to you later. Thanks.